Thank you, Jason. What's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? What's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Anybody sitting around there? Now come out so I can see you. <laughs> come out, come out. <laughs> uh, it's hard to hard to think about the most beautiful thing. It depends on the day. It depends on the day. Because some some days you you see I see a, a sunrise or a sunset that is just glorious. Yeah. And yet I think of the day that I stood at the foothills of the Himalayas and nothing compares. Mm. But nothing compares to the sunrise and sunset either. Mm. They're they're all beautiful. Yeah. Looking at his creation, I mean there how can you how can you say? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot like giving thanks, isn't it? Yeah. What are you thankful for, you think? Where do I start? Yeah, where do I start? And, and what day is it that I'm giving yeah. thanks? You know, and, and then you think about all the things that God has given you, and then you think about all the things that God has promised to give you, and you give Him thanks. And where do you? How does this unfold in your life? Well, I have great expectations for the next few minutes um, because you're all dear people to me. And honestly, this is a very, very challenging passage of Scripture we're going to look at. In Philippians, the letter of joy is full of challenge. You with me? This letter of joy is full of challenge because it hits you right where we are most easily attacked. Okay? It gets us right there where we're most easily attacked. Before we begin, let's just have a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be exposed to the revelation of Jesus Christ because He is the most beautiful that we could ever hope to see. Lord, he's the one that created the sunrise. Mm-hmm. He created the Himalayas. Mm-hmm. He created us. He holds us together. And Lord, this song that we just sang, that your love is better than life. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's a, that's a challenge. I mean, it's fun to sing. It's fun to say. But Lord, what a challenge to really think that through and to say yes. Lord, I pray that this group of people here in this place today, that w- when we leave here, that we would be closer to that ability to say your love is better than life and have some conviction in our hearts that that's really right. That's really true. And that's what we're living for. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We last explored um, what Paul meant to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I felt particularly challenged by that too because how in the world are you going to do that? And then we, we learned that it was not just um, walking in a manner worthy of the gospel, it was a manner working of, worthy of your calling, and it was worthy of God, and it was walking step by step with the Spirit. And we learned that this worthy walk, if you will, included standing firm together in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. So we saw that this was something that really could only be fully achieved in community. 
This walking in a manner worthy of the gospel is achieved in community of working and living together side by side. Today we're going to look at the third phrase in that verse, and then, which is talking about not being frightened by your opponents, whatever that opponent may be, or whoever that opponent may be. And also touch on this particular challenging gift that God gives us, this gift he labels suffering. And that's why this is such a challenge. It's a gift. This is a very important and practical subject for Christians to understand and have, not only understand, but to, to know and to realize in their lives. I hope to pique your interest today that you'll want to study suffering in the light of God's Word. So open your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians 1, and I'll just read 27 and the first part of 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. You know, Paul, we're here, that's what he wants to say. Are you standing firm in one spirit? With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Again, the phrases one spirit, one mind striving side by side emphasize our walking together. Uh, in unity for the gospel. While not frightened in anything confirms the fearlessness that we should have together when we face opposition. We are to be fearless when we face opposition together. Fearless. Opposition in the counseling room. Opposition in the job site. Opposition in the classroom. Wherever opposition on the street corner fearless because we stand firm and we walk side by side together the question must be asked what opposition do we face and has this opposition silenced your voice to share the gospel with other people whatever that opposition may be has it silenced you to share the gospel with other people. Without this opposition, would you feel more enabled to freely share the gospel? That's the opposition I'm talking about. The one that prevents you from sharing the gospel with people. The living this life as a demonstration of Christ. That's the opposition. And you immediately know what that is. Oh yeah, I have that opposition. Anybody feel opposed to share the gospel? Yeah. Okay. So we, we, we all face some opposition. It's vital for, for us to see that Paul calls for unity and fearlessness in the face of opposition. He knew that refusal to be intimidated by our foes would become evidence that the salvation we've experienced is real. Some of us have enough trouble holding fast from day to day, and Paul was calling the saints in Philippi to do so even in the winds of opposition blowing in their faces. Being steadfast at any time is a compelling witness to the value and the truth of the gospel. But it's especially so when we are steadfast in the face of opposition. That is the glory of God. That we can stand firm with fearlessness in the face of opposition. We can remember, and we think about opposition and suffering in a large scale 
But we know that opposition and evil have nowhere been more dreadfully displayed than in the persecution of those who believe in God. In lands where freedom reigns, Christians do not usually fear police brutality. But in other lands, they are still tortured and tormented for their faith. I think Carla has a recent story about a man in Sudan about suffering and that sort of persecution for its faith. Um, It has been said that more people have died for Christ in the 20th century than in all other centuries combined since Christ. This, This is not a long ago thing. In some countries of the world, this is reality. This sort of opposition And we could dwell and fret on the dangers we face together, but I think it's better for us to heed Paul's exhortation and to not be afraid of our enemies. To not be afraid. Opponents. Literally, it means to line up face to face with, you know, one face, one face, one face against each other. To confront, especially with a challenging attitude. Having opponents drives us to choose between focusing on the adversary or focusing on the Almighty. We have to choose which one is going to be the winner, our adversary or the Almighty. Your perspective here will shape how you respond to this. You know, This is why we must seriously consider God's Word on this topic. Faith is the best antidote for fear. And when we stand firm in one mind and one spirit, our hearts are strengthened to fight this fight with joy. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So if we take focus off the word that brings faith, we are in great danger of the worry brought by fear. You with me? We have to be standing on the Almighty's word to us, the promises that he's made. Otherwise, we fall off into the worry of fear. We see this all the time with some of our younger Crosswood kids. They, They just... Do I even know God? You know, the question's coming out of their mouths because their focus is not on what God has said, but it's on the doubt and the worry and the fears. Paul goes on in verse 28. This is a clear sign of, to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Now, this is a verse that I would probably, you know, when I was some of my kids' age, I would have skipped over this verse. It just didn't compute in any way in my thinking. Why do you mean their destruction? Why do you mean it's a clear sign of this? And so I'm thinking about that now. You know, Paul has given us two results of our unity and fearlessness. That 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 in the face of opposition, this is a clear sign of two things. For our opponents, it's a clear sign that judgment and destruction is coming. Now, I'm having I'm struggling to see that, but I can I can understand what Paul is saying. If we are fearless and faithful, it's a clear sign to unbelievers of destruction because they know that they are not that way. To us who stand firm, it's a surety of God's salvation. You know, it's a sure thing. Well, here you are standing firm in the face of opposition. Your salvation must be real. Otherwise, you wouldn't, right? You wouldn't. Our salvation is revealed in a unified, fearless pursuit of the cause of Christ. Let me propose this then as a goal for us as a body, as a fellowship. To display this sign of Christ's supreme truth and worth in the world. That we would stand firm and fearless. 
As opposition rises to the gospel, the sign of our standing firm in unity clearly gives evidence and points to the differences between us and our enemies. That the opponents to the gospel will be, will be destroyed and those who embrace the gospel will be saved. And then the challenge goes up. Verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I I had and now hear that I still have. So this letter of joy that Paul has written of giving thanks for remembrance of all of you and, and giving joy now talks about he gives two gifts that God has given us for the sake of Christ. One is to believe in him. Faith is God's gift to us. The ability to believe God is from God. Faith is God's gift. The ability to believe Him, that ability is from God Himself. He gives us that ability to believe. And it's such a magnificent gift. It's worth more than gold. This ability to believe God. And the second gift, to suffer for the sake of Christ, is also His gift. As, as it is a great honor to engage in this conflict that even Paul had. <coughs> For through the conflict, we glorify God. And to glorify God is the very purpose of our creation. And we encourage and confirm the faith of others when we stand firm and fearless. There is also a great reward attending this gift, as Paul has said in 2 Timothy 2.12. And if we suffer with him, we will also reign with him. So again, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, this whole idea of suffering, that's only for people in Sudan, right? (laughs) That's only for people in China or or some other place. But, But it's a gift that God gives us. And he says, if we will suffer with him, then we will reign with him. What kind of promise is that that we should give God thanks for? Have you given God thanks that you're going to reign with Jesus someday? So it gets really real now. You know. And here we are in the comfortable in Carl and Richard's home and we're talking about the reality of suffering. Okay? Even if we suffer ridicule and loss for Christ, we are to know suffering as the gift of God and prize it accordingly as sufferings come as we live in a manner worthy of the gospel. As just, as just said, suffering in the service of Christ is a, gift, is a gift of our calling, just as faith is a gift of God. The emphasis here actually falls on the gift of suffering. It is not only granted to you that for the sake of Christ you shall not only believe in him, but also suffer in his sake. This word is spoken to every believer. And I want you to really stay with me on this because it's, it's, a, it's, um, it's really valuable for us to know and to see this. Suffering is part of our calling. A gift from God, it is not a curse. Okay. We identify with Paul's conflict as, of, as having purpose and meaning. As he says in 2 Corinthians 1.6, he says, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. 
If we are comforted, it is for your comfort. So here Paul begins to lay out that suffering has a purpose and a meaning in our life. And it's to prepare us to comfort others who are afflicted. You know, when you are when you're counseling or sharing with someone who is suffering, this may be a helpful thought, is that this suffering that they are undergoing is preparing them to be an encourager for others who would suffer in the same way. We've all seen this. But this is this is a part of suffering that we need to remember. This is really an amazing thing that Paul is saying to the Philippians. He wants them to see that not only is their faith a gift, but suffering for Christ is a gift. It's not a sign that God's power has failed. It's not a sign that God's purposes in the world have been defeated. It's not a sign that He is punishing our sin. It is not a sign of our lack of faith. Rather, suffering for Christ's sake is actually a privilege, a blessing from God. It is His, it is his gift. Legan Duncan, who some of you are, are familiar with, uh, puts it like this, and I'm going to quote a long section here. These conflicts that you are experiencing with unbelieving Gentiles who persecute you and with the Judaizers who want to tear you apart from one another and away from the gospel, don't be frightened or discouraged that you're experiencing these conflicts, he said. Legan goes on, and he's paraphrasing what Paul has written. Anytime you come to a place in the Bible where God says, don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. Don't be discouraged. Understand this. Paul is not saying that there's nothing frightening, nothing threatening, nothing fearful in the Christian life. What he's saying is the exact opposite. You know. He's saying that because there are things frightening and threatening and fearful and discouraging, here is an encouraging word from God. The very fact that God tells you in his word, don't be frightened, lets you know that God knows that you struggle with being frightened. And the very fact that he tells you don't be discouraged is not an indication that discouragement should play no part in the Christian life. It's an indication that it is frequently seen in the Christian life. And God in his love and his kindness with great mercy wants to comfort his people and give them reasons why that despite the fact that they have grounds that they could be discouraged, that they have greater reasons why they should not be discouraged. That's why David wrote, your love is better than life. The mere fact that it says don't be frightened means that there are things that will frighten us. And Paul wants to give us the strength. God wants to give us the strength to not be frightened in the midst of it. He goes on. I understand that you are in a threatening, frightening, discouraging situation. But don't be frightened. You may be tempted to see this conflict as an indication that God is displeased with you. Or that he is punishing you for something. But don't do that. Or you may be tempted to look upon your circumstance and say, God has abandoned us. We lost our church building. God's abandoned us. Don't do that. Don't go there, you say it. That's exactly wrong. That's exactly the opposite of what is happening. You could not be further from the truth. In fact, you need to understand this suffering is under the sovereign control of God. He is the one who has ordained it, not for your destruction, but for your everlasting good. God's love never fails. Indeed, this kind of suffering for Christ's sake is a kind of proof of your salvation. 
Because unbelievers persecuted the Lord Jesus, and what happens to the Master also happens to his disciples. What did Jesus himself say in the, fir- in the first words of this greatest sermon of the Mount ever preached? Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. You are blessed. Paul says, the fact that you are being persecuted for Christ's sake is a proof of your salvation. It is confirmation that God is saving you and will save you. This verse, this short little verse, asks us to think deeply about the meaning of suffering in our lives. How God uses it. What is its purpose? We live in a day and time which sees the avoidance of suffering at any cost as wise action. Absolutely. We live in an age that whenever suffering happens on either a larger grand scale or a smaller grand scale, God is immediately called out on the carpet. Let a tsunami sweep the shore. Let a fire burn out of control. Let a hurricane hit the coast. Let an earthquake strike and buildings fall. And immediately, what happens? God is called into the office like a seventh grader into the principal's office. You've got some explaining to do, God. Why did this happen? Sit in the chair right here. It's your fault. God's got to give an account because we assume that in suffering is inherently wrong and shouldn't happen. And then on the other side, there's this religious world where there are those who say, if you really trust in God, you won't suffer at all. In fact, God wants you to be blessed. He doesn't want you to have trials. He doesn't want you to endure sufferings. God wants your whole life to be a blessing. So if you're experiencing suffering, it's because you don't have enough faith. We we see this taught in books. It's taught in television. It's taught in churches. So Christians today are very confused as to what to do or what to say or what to think about sufferings. The believers who preceded us through the ages were not so unwise. When they encountered suffering for the sake of Christ, they were not surprised. When they encountered general suffering for which there was not an easy or ready explanation, they went to work in prayer asking what lessons God would have them learn in that suffering. Not accusing them for allowing something to happen to them that shouldn't be happening, but accepting suffering as part of the Christian life. Not only wanting to know what God's purposes were in that suffering. Our forebearers were wise in this way. And they were biblical because that's what Paul is teaching here in Philippians. So I don't think it's a theoretical question to ask. Are you prepared and ready to suffer for Christ? It may be true that not everyone in here will find a direct threat on your lives because of your confession of faith. But let me add that most of the persecution in the Christian world during the first three centuries under the rule of Rome wasn't like that either. They didn't always come after Christians explicitly because they confessed faith in Christ. They found other ways. Like, why won't you give those offerings as part of you becoming a military officer? What's wrong with you? Are you not loyal to the empire? If you sat these persecutors down and said, are you persecuting Christians? They would say, no, I'm not persecuting Christians. I'm only persecuting acts of treason, disloyal, unfaithful Roman citizens, evil Roman citizens. You see the point? They don't have to persecute you based on explicit terms of faith. So there was a magazine article in the past week 
election 2012 aftermath, biblical Christians will become increasingly marginalized, is the headline. And not just in the political arena, arena faces that position. The uproar over the summer about Chick-fil-A. Anything resisting abortion. Anything resisting perverse marriage. Anything resisting homosexuality. Anything that would promote responsible personal responsibility, it seems, is under attack. It's being opposed. Those who hold those views are being persecuted. There's opposition in your faith. And Paul is saying, stand firm in the word. Stand firm side by side in these things that would persecute you and cause you to want to lay down the terms of your faith. You may not lose your job because of your faithfulness to Christ. You may just lose your reputation because of your fidelity to Christ. If you really witness to five more people Would you lose your reputation with them? Would you lose your standing with them? Would you not get certain jobs that you would like to get because of your faithfulness to Christ? But what other kind of suffering might there be? What about suffering that is not explicitly and directly because of persecution against us for our faith in Christ? And now I have some words from John Piper. That, he, that, that I think are very encouraging for us. In choosing to follow Christ in the way he directs, we choose all that this path includes under his sovereign, sovereign providence. In other words, if we choose to follow Christ, then we're choosing everything that comes along with following Christ under his sovereign providence. Thus, all suffering that comes in the path of obedience is suffering with Christ and for Christ. Whether it's cancer or personal conflict, All experience of suffering in the path of a Christian's obedience, whether it's from persecution or sickness or accident, have this in common. They all threaten our faith in the goodness of God, and they tempt us to leave the path of obedience. See, really, really, if you've chosen to follow Christ, then whatever suffering and persecution you come, it tempts you to deny the goodness of God in your very heart. It tempts you to choose a path outside of God's providence for a solution. And what Paul is saying, no. No. Every triumph of faith and all perseverance and obedience are testimonies to the goodness of God and to the preciousness of Christ, whether the enemy is sickness, Satan, sin, or sabotage. See, he's really helping us understand that suffering and persecution, once we are walking with Christ, is an attempt to attack our faith in Christ, and that we will trust someone other than God. We'll trust our own wisdom. We'll trust somebody else's promise. We'll trust anything other than what God said. So when you say my job is lost, you're tempted to say, Lord, you've abandoned me. When you're tempted to lose faith, and instead of saying, Lord, you've abandoned me, you say, Lord, I will magnify your name. I will believe in you. When you stay in a marriage and you're facing impossible situations and you say, Lord, I will will stay married for your glory. 
when you've gotten a terminal diagnosis from the doctor, and instead of saying, Lord, you don't care about me, you say, Lord, I want you to get the glory in this, and I want to be a witness to my children and to my grandchildren and to all my friends. That general suffering is being offered up as a sweet-smelling aroma to Christ. Lord, you're saying, take this and be glorified in the midst of it. So I want you to let the persecution and the suffering, not only for your direct display of faith in Christ, but only for choosing to, to walk in submission to God's will, not be attacked. The Piper goes on to say, Not only that, the suffering of sickness and the suffering of persecution have this in common. Satan would like both of them to destroy your faith. It doesn't matter to him. You can be sick and Satan can destroy your faith. Or you can be afraid to share the gospel and Satan can destroy your faith. He doesn't care. Whichever way will do it, he'll do it. Right? But they are both governed by God for the purifying of our faith. Suffering for sickness and persecution are often indistinguishable. Suppose that Paul had gotten pneumonia from all his work and exposure. Would that pneumonia have been persecution? Would it have been suffering for the sake of Christ? Paul didn't make a distinction between being beaten by rods and having a cold while traveling between towns. For him, all of the suffering that befell him while serving Christ was a part of the cost of discipleship. When a missionary child gets sick, that's part of the missionary's faithfulness. But if any parent is walking in the path of obedience to God, calling it's the same price. Can you follow this? What he's saying is that once you have chosen to follow Christ, anything that comes and attacks your faith to believe and trust God is persecuting your faith. It's an opponent. And Paul is saying to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, we need to stand firm together. To walk side by side together in unity and fearlessness. What turns our sufferings into sufferings for Christ, what turns our sufferings into sufferings for Christ is not how intentional our enemies are, but how faithful we are. If we are Christ, then what befalls us is for its glory and for our good, whether it be caused by enzymes or enemies. When we speak of the purposes of suffering, we mean both persecution and the accidents and sickness that befall us in any path of faith. So, the crisis of faith for us today (coughs) includes how will we respond to the call to be ready to suffer for Christ when that comes either explicitly and directly or when it comes through other means? And how will we respond to these other sufferings in our life? Will we say, I will continue with Christ for His glory and embrace this event as from His hand and seek to give Him praise? Or will I disregard God and lose faith in Him and in His Word? Or even worse, fall away from Him and no longer desire His fellowship? Okay, so we have a a girl in Crossway. Mary just told me that she's thinking about saying to us, well, I really would rather choose my friends than to choose to submit to Crossway. So she's in the throes of this very thing. You know, she's making a choice. Am I going to fall away from God 
or am I going to stay true to him? And every one of us has this choice when a conflict comes. Any, anything. You hit your thumb with a hammer, burn the toast, wreck the car, what, anything. Every event like that, <coughs> if it challenges you to give up your faith in God, then it's an opponent. It's a persecution of your faith. So we're, we're, we're filled. This issue is real important, I think. Because if any one of us could know for just an instant all the suffering that exists in this room, I mean, I don't know how your faith is being persecuted. On a college campus, on a high school campus, <coughs> teaching, you know, what, whatever, serving other people, counseling them, whatever it is that you're doing, how is your faith being attacked? How we respond to suffering is a vital part of how we demonstrate the Lordship of Christ as all suffering threatens our faith and tempts us to leave the path of obedience. You with me? To walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, together we are called to be steadfast, to preserve the unity, the spirit of unity among us, to show courage and the opposition of our enemies, and to accept suffering for Christ's sake as a gift from God. A gift from God. A purifying agent of the Holy Spirit to prepare us to be a comfort to others, to prepare us to be a counselor to others who are afflicted, to help us to encourage their faith and to stand firm for Christ, to not fall away. This Thanksgiving, did anybody write, I want to give God thanks for the sufferings of my life? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. It's not a normal thing. We don't think this way. This is a scripture that we would jump over unless we would linger in it for just a moment and let the truth of God's word do something fantastic in our hearts. I mean, what he's saying here separates the wheat from the chaff, doesn't it? This separates. Are you serious? <laughs> what are the ways in which you suffer? Anybody want to volunteer? What are the ways in which you suffer? I guess for me it's suffering to try to grasp this whole concept. <laughs> you know, I, I guess if I were to um, just think about how I would want other people to relate to God or to believe in God, this would not be a subject that I would broach with them. <laughs> and, and I think many Christians, and at times I struggle with understanding this fully myself, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, would God give my family, a member of my family, cancer? Is that from God? Did, did God give my mother dementia? struggle with an answer. It, it, it strikes at the very root of your faith. Doesn't it? Mm -hmm. 
and, and what, what's being said here, that is a persecution. That, uh, that idea is persecuting your faith. And it's causing Wayne Bueller to have to decide, am I going to trust <coughs> God's word? Or am I going to trust something else? I mean, it's at the root of who you are in Christ. I mean, that, this is yeah. not something we can jump no. over lightly. Dad's answer to something like that, when he was diagnosed with cancer back in 97, um, Norma asked him, because he was very, I hesitate to use the word religious, but he was very, very regimented mm -hmm. with his whole issue with diabetes. He weighed everything, he measured everything, he went on his plate once he got that diagnosis. And then, when he, and he he never drank, he never smoked, he never did any of those things. Mm -hmm. And so Norma's question to him when he was diagnosed with cancer was, Dad, why you? And Dad's answer back there was, why not me? Why not me? Would you rather it be some gutter snipe? You know, somebody that doesn't know Jesus? Would you rather they get, get cancer? Why not? And that's always, since that time, has has really affected my thinking. Yeah. But your your dad would have said, your love is better than life. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was the central core of his judgment. Your love is better than life, so... Why not me? Well, Whether it's from God or God just allowed it, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm not saying those things. All I'm saying is that the... Right. The attack, Satan wants to use the attack to destroy your faith. Right. And there was no way it could do that. And, and that's a persecution. And, yeah. and how do we stand firm mm -hmm. in the midst of that? You know, I'm not judging anybody's view of no. that. I'm just saying that the attack itself Absolutely. is opposition to your faith. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And how are we going to respond? Well, first story of Job's example of that, right? When God allowed the enemy to attack Job. How he responded was pretty important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I know it in my own life, and I used it, I used it several times about sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. I f I feel opposed to share the gospel, mm -hmm. and even if it's not real opposition, why am I feeling opposed to that? Mm -hmm. You know, anybody else? Why do you feel opposition mm -hmm. to open your mouth and share the gospel? That, that there's because something I need the money to pay my bills. <laughs> 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 well, yeah, maybe maybe I've already subconsciously I made that connection. Yeah. Um, well, depends on where you are. If you're in Peru, where you know that people are open dwelling, <coughs> but if you're in a work environment where or in a place where you know people are in general opposed to that, it's, you, you feel that. Maybe yeah. it's the same reason I don't put yeah. religious bumper stickers on my car mm -hmm. because if they see me driving, they'll say, "Well, you know." <laughs> I've seen you drive. <laughs> <laughs> you probably agree with that. <laughs> but, but fundamentally, I guess I struggle with saying that God gave breast cancer to my mother as a gift. I struggle with my understanding of God doing that. Yeah. What he's saying is that the um, 
there are, there are, uh, there, the suffering comes no matter what. And, and I don't have to lobby with you about the, the source of all the suffering, the means and the ends and all those sorts of discussions. But he's saying that when the suffering, the, the, I don't know whether I'm saying that each particular act that causes suffering is a gift, but the suffering itself, your, re, your reaction to it, your reaction to what's happened around you is the suffering. You know, how we view it. There are some people who have cancer and they, they, they go closer to the Lord. I mean, we've, we've seen that in our own fellowship. Just the preciousness of God's presence. But, 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 but really, Wayne, I think you would agree with me that the root of, this, of the suffering is going to be instrumental in finding out more about God. Because it, it tends to go into this black box that we kind of put all unresolved questions. <coughs> and when we get to heaven, we'll say, God explained everything to me even in this black box. What does all that mean? Mm-hmm. Because I really don't have a grasp on it. I trust you in the midst of it. And maybe that's a safe thing to do while we're going through life, is to say, Lord, I'm choosing to trust you and believe in you. But I've still got questions, <coughs> serious questions that I've stuck over here for the time mm-hmm. being. And gradually the Lord might bring those up and, and explain them to us. And it doesn't, doesn't in any way stop us from praying for healing and release. Absolutely. No. And so mm-hmm. we're, the suffering, the clue, clue to me is for the sake of Christ. He says that twice in that verse 29. For Christ's sake. For his sake. It's all for his glory. I guess that's yeah. what for his sake means. Yeah. Is that what that means? But um, it doesn't stop us, you know, praying, God, heal this person. Please deliver this person. Uh, in the midst of your delivering, bring much glory to your name through for everyone involved. But that's just how he leads us to pray without, to don't not stop praying, trusting yeah. him. Look at the situation with Jenna right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what has this done for us as a body? And what's it going to do in her life? Right. And Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In her family's life. What, what it, are all it's all a matter of, of what you're saying. It's how you react yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. to what happens. You know, and I keep coming back to that same scripture that's been for months in my mind in Lamentations. It's just one verse. It says, Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sin? I think this is a very thorny, delicate issue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because it, for me as a Christian, over the years, I have come to believe that the fall is far more consequential and far more horrific than I had any understanding of mm-hmm. as a young believer. I personally believe that a lot of the suffering, like dementia, cancer, etc., has come from the fall itself, which was not God's will. And if we look at something as having come from the Lord, it is very difficult to pray in faith. Mm-hmm. I want to be a person who prays in faith in line with the redemption that God has brought okay. through his death and resurrection. So when I look at a situation um, 
I may not have the faith sufficient for laying hold of the Lord. But there are many people who have had that kind of faith. And they pray knowing God's goodness and his glory. And they saw loved ones healed. They saw people delivered. And I won't settle for any less than that, regardless of how small my faith is. Mm-hmm. I still will take that challenge and try to grow the faith, knowing that the Lord is good. And yes, he will use the suffering for good because he will redeem everything and anything that we put in his hands and look to him with faith in. But I see the fall is at the heart of mm-hmm. much of the suffering. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we've got two kingdoms. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. The kingdom of his dear son, where we are, yeah. and the kingdom of the evil one. Right. I don't I don't know for what other reason Paul would have written for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have you know there, there's punishment for sin for believers Jesus took it all and, and I'm coming to think, well, we're not being punished for our sin. Jesus took it. And if I say that I took some of the punishment for my sin, that lessens what Jesus took for me. I suffer the consequences of sin. I suffer the consequences of the sin of the fall. And not just the consequences of my own sin. I suffer the consequences of your sin. Mm -hmm. And you suffer the consequences of my sin and all of our... And so, yeah, the the idea of pinpointing a particular breast cancer is saying God chose to give me this particular consequence of sin or chose to give a loved one consequence. I, I I don't know. I mean, I know God ordains and controls all things. But... What I want to look at this morning is what Paul is saying about this, that it's an it's a opposition to our faith. Mm-hmm. It causes you to doubt your faith when Janet is over there mm-hmm. in the hospital and had not somebody broke into her door last Saturday. She wouldn't be there. We may be having a funeral today. Mm-hmm. You know, and... And somehow that both challenges our faith and it increases our faith to see God's deliverance and to see what he did. I guess the main thing is I I don't want to not skip over verses. I don't want to skip over verses anymore. I want us to, to stand firm together in this with fearlessness facing our opponents together. Yet breast cancer is an opponent. And with fearlessness we want to stand with you on this thing. You know, and we want you to not lose hope in Christ. Or any of us to lose hope in Christ for what we're facing here. It's just that I think it's it's, it's good for us to really go and, and to see what Paul is yeah. saying through here. Because he would he didn't say it for he didn't say it's a gift when it's not a gift. Mm-hmm. Unless it was mistranslated by all these guys who <laughs> translated it <laughs> such. And so what did he mean by it? What did God mean by telling us this? You know, later in Philippians, he'll talk about, I want to know him. In what? The power of his 
resurrection, resurrection and the fellowship, the fellowship of his sufferings. And so Paul, who at the very moment of his call, God said to him, you know, I guess he said to Ananias, I want him to know how much he must suffer for my sake. Mm-hmm. So what God said, speaking of Paul, and Paul suffered, I mean, he didn't come at this as a first grader in terms of suffering. He had he had multiple PhDs in yeah. suffering. And so I want to learn from that. And, and I just want us to be able to stand firm in it mm-hmm. and not be afraid by our opponents, not be afraid of this. The, I think for me the, the bottom line is, okay, God, am I going to judge your character, judge who you are by what I'm going through right now? Or am I going to judge what I'm going through by who you are? Yeah, yeah exactly. Is this, is this persecution, this opponent going to cause my faith yep. to weaken, to be destroyed, or strengthen? Well, that's the message this morning. And um, the question I sent you by email, maybe we can talk about what for what things do you truly give God thanks? Why not if I ask you to give God thanks for it yet? Yeah. I just want you to think about it. <laughs> oh, yes, I, I am. Think about it. I am extremely thankful. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, the most beautiful thing I see every morning is Jill. Oh. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Very sweet. Well, that's well, not uh, when you look in the mirror. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was downhill. Uh, <laughs> I've got something I'm really grateful yeah. for, and I know y'all get tired of hearing this, but I'll say it again: is I'm very grateful that I'm here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you experience something where you may not be here, then you just don't know, and it's hard to even put into words. But the other thing too is that. Um, not only was the stroke was a real scary thing, but the reason why why I feel like I even had the stroke was I had a shot in this eye because I couldn't see. I mean, literally everything was really blurry. Until you can't, you're talking about you know what did you see that you know that is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And I'm thinking to myself now, I think everything is beautiful. <laughs> I couldn't see, see I couldn't see before, and that last shot. See, I was supposed to go every five weeks to have a shot in this eye. Because he said, otherwise you're going to lose your sight. And so when they found out I had the stroke, he said, no more. Because there were some people, not many, there were two, maybe, that have ever had uh, a stroke. But I guess I was one of the ones. (laughs) But he would never admit that. He just says, well, you know, that's happened. But all that to say is that I'm so grateful. It's not great. It's not perfect, but I can see out of that eye. I mean, this eye is is um, better for this eye, and so. Mm-hmm. But I can see. You know, it, not real great, but I can see. Mm-hmm. And I am so thankful. I start crying, but mm-hmm. I'm so thankful to have not lost my sight. And I know that that was God because he said, you need to come every five weeks to you. And that was really expensive to come every five weeks. And he's just given me my sight. And um, I know it was from him. And plus the fact that heart attack, I mean that stroke, excuse me, keep saying heart attack, but that stroke was a small one. 
but it could have been really bad. Mm-hmm. We had a we had a friend that the very same week that I had that, this person had been diagnosed with diabetes. Of course, he was older, but he had a stroke, and he and he was a Christian. He committed suicide mm-hmm. because he couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just couldn't handle. I mean, he was paralyzed. You know, and I've gone to the doctor's office, and they've said, my goodness, you, you don't even look like you've had, you know. And I said, and I have got, you know, to witness the man. He said, it is because of God, it's because of the Lord. You know, I know that it's him. And I went to the doctor the other day, and I told him the same thing. I said, it's only because of the Lord. I know that. But, you know, so... I'm very grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful to be here and be able to see stuff. So, you know, I'm just tell you about to lose something like that. I mean, we take for granted our health. And we take for granted just our whole being being able to do things. And when it could possibly be taken away, um, when it's not, I'm just very grateful. That's my <laughs> Lord, I I know that we have not fully seen Mm -hmm. the horrific flaw that all mankind has has gone through or we've only begun to see how horrible sin really is and so Lord when we come across this scripture that Paul gave us it really is hard for us to compute this because everything that we've seen in the world would fight and, and call you on the carpet for the things that have happened And yet, Lord, you, you're sensitive to us, and you tell us to not to be frightened. Mm-hmm. Don't be, don't be afraid. And so, Lord, I, I pray that that we would not blame you. That's right. And that we would not give up our faith in you. Lord, I pray that we would choose you in every opportunity to choose every decision that's thrust upon us, that we would choose you, Lord, and Lord, that you would, the bedrock of Christ would be laying afresh, Lord, in our lives. That your love is better than life. And Lord, that you've, you've, you've called us remember these things. You've called us to stand firm and be steadfast. You've called us to spread the gospel. Or that other people won't commit suicide when things happen in their life. And other people won't flee your presence when things happen in their lives. Lord, you, these things happen that we might be prepared to minister to those that this same thing has happened to them <coughs> and bring them comfort. Lord, that these things that have happened that 
the glory of Christ and his value and his worth of his following him, his trustworthiness, might be known, Lord, to every nation. Lord, open our eyes to see. Lord, I don't think we want to see the horrific nature of sin, but Lord, you're, you're going to have to reveal it to us slowly. Just, Lord, you have to reveal to us slowly the glories of Christ because we can't take it all in. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to grow mature, strong. And Lord, where we, where we see that we don't have enough faith, and probably that's every area of our life, Lord, that you'd give us faith to believe you. And then, Lord, that we might be instruments, your instruments, Father, to bring healing to people. And Lord, to bring help to people and bring faith to them. And bring encouragement and strength and mercy. Lord, we just pray that you'd, you'd be with Jana this, this morning. Mm-hmm. And Lord, yes, Lord, our first opportunity is, as a church to pray for her. Mm-hmm. We thank you, Lord, that the miracle that she's still alive. Lord, we just thank you for perseverance for those that were trying to reach her, that they were not... They were not thwarted. They not, did not give up. Lord, they didn't just turn away and say, well, God, God you're, you did this, and we just let, let it be. Lord, they pressed in, and, and Lord, now we see the glory of Christ revealed even more, mm-hmm. your love and concern for her. Lord, we just pray that you'd heal her body, yes. heal her mind, Father, and Lord, just the, what other deep-seated things in your life that you want to restore and bring life and health to, mm-hmm. Lord, we, we just ask you to do all that. Father, we give you thanks for a holiday where we give thanks. Mm-hmm. And we just pray, Lord, that mm-hmm. our hearts will be filled with thanksgiving the rest of our days. I mean, why not, Lord? We give you thanks for sight. We give you thanks, mm-hmm. Lord, for friends and family. Mm-hmm. Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus, what he's done for us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, the things that we've talked about this morning, I pray anything not of you would just be forgotten. Lord, but what is of you would really stir our interest to know and to make sense, Lord. All of life is trying to make sense of what's happening. But Lord, your word is the thing that has the most sense. Because, Lord, this life is not all there is. This life is lived in preparation of a life to come. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us more of a sense of the life to come revealed in your word. And, Lord, that we would would be ready and prepared. Thank you, Lord. Lord, all the many other requests we have, we, we offer them to you and but we ask that you make our fellowship sweet. Um, help us to endure persecution, Lord, and not be frightened. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, this is probably one of the reasons that um, going verse by verse is, is a good thing. Because mm-hmm. otherwise... I would never talk about this verse. <laughs> I mean, honestly. 
I know, two, and I thought what, if, if I what, if, any encouragement if I got into chapter two, I mean that just is this whole <laughs> new world, right? But he, he goes to explain in even more detail of what it yeah. means to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. He talks about Christ, and, yeah. So that's that's yet to come. Thank you for hearing me out, Mary. Yeah. Thank you I for do. explaining it so well. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your question. <laughs> because, because honestly, <coughs> unless there's an answer for that question, we're all going to be lacking of how to to really help people understand. We've got to be able to answer that question. Um, 